When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. And a very good Tuesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. Bernie sitting in for John Paul all this week so she's taking your calls at 0818 103 103. Anything you want to share with us you can text her WhatsApp as well to 0862 103 103. And let me start with an email into the programme from the ESB uh, Networks and this is to do with planned outages in the North Cork area that were due to happen this week, well today and tomorrow but because crews obviously have now been redeployed to assist in areas that are still without power uh, following Storm Debbie. The planned outages uh, therefore have been cancelled. There was one due today in Mitchestown. That's off. And again, tomorrow there had been a planned outage at St Bernard's Place area of Mallow. That has also been postponed and the ESB networks apologising there for any inconvenience caused. Now RTE again making the front page of most of the papers today and the news certainly isn't good news from a staff point of view. One in five jobs, we're told now, are to go at RTE. But there is, if you want to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, more production will be transferred to uh, Corks. And that's some uh, good news. But this has been described by many commentators as an unprecedented plan to try to cut costs at the national uh, broadcaster. Up to 400 redundancies will now be sought. And this, of course, is all in the wake of the payments scandal that has engulfed RTE for most of this year. The new Director General Kevin Backhurst. Now, he's going to unveil full details of the proposed cost-causing measures today. But we know now that the aim is to save 10 million next year. And then a promise from Kevin Backhurst that more will be saved in the years ahead. Senior cabinet sources are, they're the ones confirming this 20% reduction in staff. And it will begin next year, along with a proposal for RTE just to leave part of the Donnybrook site. Now, what's to happen has yet to be decided. It may be sold or it may be rented out, but there is absolutely no plan to sell the entire RT campus. But I know that was something that Kevin Backhurst uh, did look at, was selling out the, selling off the complete campus in uh, Donnybrook. But the cost cutting measures will see more production activities moved to uh, Cork. There will also be this reduction in headcount and that's expected to be made through voluntary redundancies. But there's a sting in the tail of that because the voluntary 
voluntary redundancies. They're going to have to pay off the staff who agreed to the voluntary redundancies. And they reckon that the exit payments could cost about 40 million. So they're going to have to come up with that as well. The cost cutting will include the retention of a 2023 pay cap that's in place. And they're also saying there will be a continued reduction in the pay of RTE high paid earners because there's still a number of people in RTE who are on very, very high uh, wages, which must be galling to those further down the line who do a lot of the support work in the background and they are getting paid a fraction of what the top earners are getting. Now, the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, he's already stated that, that the government will not allow RTE to fail and that the government will be providing extra financial support before the end of this year. And we know that they need a bailout uh, this year. They, they, they needed a bailout even before the scandal broke. Uh, but of course, uh, aligned with that is the fact that so many people have opted not to pay their television licence. They were so annoyed with the payments uh, scandal. So there's a bigger hole than ever is appearing in the coffers of RTE. Leo Varadkar, now he received a copy of this report over the weekend. He says he needs time to consider the proposals. He says there are two separate questions here. There's the 40 million that RTE needs. That's to just keep going. That 40 million, by the way, has nothing to do with the exit uh, package. So you can almost say that figure is 80 million. But anyway, they need 40 million to see them out the back of this year. And uh, he says RTE needs to keep going. And then there's the wider issue as to what the future of RTE looks like and, more importantly, how it's going to be funded going forward. I suppose basically that is the Taoiseach saying they can't keep coming back, cap in hand every year saying, sorry, we've run out of money, we need more money. Now the RTE staff are going to be briefed there's a meeting that's going to be held in Studio 4. That's where the Late Late Show is uh, held every week. And that meeting goes ahead uh, this afternoon. Now, obviously, trade unions have already reacted with uh, anger to the leaking of the details of the cost-cutting plan before staff were even informed. A, spokes- a statement from RTE's trade union group described the leak as unacceptable. And I have to say, when I heard about it yesterday, uh, my, uh, when I heard yesterday, you know, all the news that was coming out about the 400 redundancies and, you know, uh, pay caps, etc. And then I heard, oh, there's going to be a meeting where the staff are going to be briefed uh, this afternoon. I kept thinking this is such a bad way for staff to hear because they're all going to be looking at each other. You know, when you're looking at one in five jobs uh, to go, you know, you get five people together, they're all looking at each other saying which of us is going to be the ones uh, to go. So you can't help but feel for the staff at RTE. And, you know, uh, in Fionan Sheehan in the Irish Independent today makes a good point that it's the ordinary staff are the ones who would bear the brunt of the cutbacks through the job losses and the changes to the way the station is going to uh, operate. But there is also a question mark over the ability of the management to reduce the staff numbers by 400. That is a huge number because they've had previous plans in the past to reduce staff numbers, nothing like 400, but they've never been able to deliver on, you know, any kind of a plan to reduce the staff numbers. The government has already ruled out compulsory redundancies. Now, they reckon that's because it had caused so much anger within all of the trade unions involved in RTE, bearing in mind that RTE is a semi-state body. 
everybody. So I imagine there'll be a lot of anger at that meeting uh, this afternoon. And will it work? And what will the future of RTE look like? Your thoughts welcomed 0818 103 103. And can I just stay on TV and TV programmes for a moment? Because the final list is now out for I'm a Celebrity get me out of here and I know um, the ITV programme it's it's a little bit like Marmite you either love it or you hate it and I have to say I'm in the camp that I love it I watch it religiously every week and I like the fact that it only runs for three weeks and it's just it's always winter it's the lead into Christmas and every night at nine o'clock I'll sit down and make sure silence in the house I want to watch I'm a Celebrity so I am I'll say hands up I am a big fan I know others are scratching their heads saying how can you watch that drivel but it's just a little bit of chewing gum for the eye I suppose is how you would uh, describe it. But this year's I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here, which will kick off uh, next weekend. There are already fan dedicated fans of the programme who are threatening to boycott the new series. And this is over the inclusion of one Nigel Farage. Now, he's understood to be receiving £1.7 million pounds sterling for his participation in the reality show and if that is true then that is a record for any star going into the jungle. The British former politician said last night he will be able to survive the jungle because and I quote he's used to dealing with snakes and other horrible reptiles both in Brussels and in Westminster. Nigel Farage is, of course, the former UKIP and UKIP and Brexit party leader, and he'll be entering the jungle for the next instalment of the ITV reality show alongside people like the food writer Grace Dent, retired boxer Tony Bellew, and the one I'm interested in 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 seeing is Britney Spears' sister Jamie Lynn Spears. Even though her and Britney don't get on, but I'll be interested to see how she fares out in the jungle. But it really is Nigel. Farage's involvement in the series uh, which kicks off next Sunday that has really left viewers enraged in the UK. Farage was confirmed as a, uh, finally confirmed as a contestant it had been rumoured for a while but it was finally confirmed uh, last night and now many are already calling on the producers to reverse the decision uh, he currently is a GB News presenter And he put a video out on his own channel where he explained in the little video clip that for many years, certainly since 2016, the producers of I'm a Celebrity have been asking him. But he said the time was never right. Um, And he says he thinks the timing is right now because he says he, he can't do it next year because there's a general election and there's also the American presidential elections. Why Nigel Farage is interested in the American presidential elections? I don't know. So he said this year I'm kind of free in a way. In And then he went on to talk about, you know, the Brexit referendum was a long time ago. He says there's a lot of young people don't know who I am, don't know what I stand for. So he said, this is my big chance to reach a really big audience of young people. And he says that's the main reason that he's agreed to uh, do it. Nothing about the 1.7 million that he's picking up for his appearance uh, fee. Nigel Farage is uh, known, of course, for his right-wing views and he's always been also been accused of xenophobia. They're going to have to be so, so careful of what they broadcast from this uh, man. And it seems there has been 
Several petitions have already been launched and this is an attempt to get the hateful Farage removed from the uh, show. And the only thing when I saw that it was finally confirmed that Nigel Farage was going in, guess who's going to be doing all of the trials this year? And thank you to Anthony in Limerick who is remembering Vicky Phelan today and the beautiful soul that was uh, Vicky Phelan. A number of the papers actually are picking up on this. It was a year ago this morning, would you believe, that we woke up to the news that Vicky Phelan, a mother, a sister, a friend and a fighter, had finally been overtaken by the scourge of uh, cervical uh, cancer. And the 221 Plus, the patient support group that Vicky um, helped to uh, found, uh, said this morning that uh, their first thoughts uh, this week are for Amelia and Dara, her pride and joy, as well as for her husband Jim, her parents Gabby and John, her siblings, her extended family and friends, for whom there are uh, many. For them, the group say her absence from their lives every day can't be replaced, but her spirit lives on and of course it does inspire uh, all of us. And let us not forget that uh, the Cervical Check, the National Screening Programme, is is a very much a changed organisation and that is because of Vicky Phelan and Vicky Phelan's uh, bravery. Now there is still, I know, there is still progress uh, to be made, particularly in the area of bringing the laboratory testing back to Ireland from the United uh, States and that is frustrating for a lot of people because it's so uh, slow but there definitely has been a major shift and a major changing to the National Screening Programme all thanks uh, to uh, Vicky Phelan. So we remember Vicky Phelan uh, today very much in our thoughts and uh, prayers but her children are the ones who are missing her the most today. 0818 103 103 lines are open. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103 Today on C103. Now, last June, while on a visit to West Cork, the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly confirmed that the area would get an extra ambulance which should be stationed in Bantry. But just last week, local Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan said the ambulance service in West Cork needs to grow as it's already overstretched. To find out more, uh, Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan joins me. Good morning to you, Christopher. Hey, Patricia. Uh, you're welcome to the programme. OK, firstly, that extra ambulance, has that arrived yet? No, and th- this is the frustrating thing. Uh, and what I'm trying, this is one of the, I suppose, urgent answers uh, I'm trying to get from um, the department and, and from the minister. Uh, and I haven't received that answer yet in terms of when we can expect uh, this new ambulance to be serving um, the area. It's, it's due to uh, be put in place in bantries, due to replace the rapid response vehicle there. It's due to have eight personnel um, and even just a one vehicle like that with eight personnel, extra ambulance personnel in the area, it would make a massive difference in providing some relief really f- for staff who are stressed, who are burnt out, uh, who are under severe pressure to respond to the calls that they, they do get. Um, and it will certainly uh, reduce uh, waiting times for ambulances in the area uh, at the moment. Uh, in Cork or in, in the in the southwest region, which includes Cork and Kerry, we have the longest waiting times. It's almost up to an hour. Um, that's nowhere near good enough. But to even just the introduction of one 24-7 ambulance would make a massive difference. So I, that's the reason I, I brought it up as, as a topical issue in the dial last week to try and get answers to these questions. I've been promised that I will get an answer uh, very shortly in terms of when we can expect the new ambulance with the new team and the new personnel to be in place. Uh, I will not give up until I get an answer to that question. And, and as soon as I do, I, I will certainly share that information. And, and when, when Stephen Donnelly made that announcement back in June, 
How quickly did you believe the ambulance would be put in place in Bantry? I, cer- I certainly thought they'd be there before I know, uh, Patricia. Look, I, I know there's a, a huge challenge in terms of recruitment uh, in the HSE, trying to fill uh, positions like paramedics, like ambulance drivers, like, you know, uh, consultants, nurses, whatever it is. There, there's a, a challenge there. That's That's well known. We have posts created right throughout uh, the uh, HSE and the health service. Um, we've funded these posts, we put money behind these posts, but we're finding difficulty trying to fill them. So I knew that it wasn't going to be tomorrow, uh, but I certainly thought it would be uh, in place by now. Uh, and I, I just really hope that it's in place before the new year. We're coming into a, a winter where, you know, we, we, we generally see our health services being stretched uh, as we as we, as we we approach the new year. Uh, I think it's really important that that's in place, but I, I certainly... You know, I'm, I'm disappointed I don't have an answer. Um, I, I was hoping to have an answer then. It, the, the question, the topical issue was taken by Minister of State, uh, Oshin Smith, not by the Minister for Health himself. So, look, I, I, the Minister for Health is obviously a colleague of mine. He's, 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 he's in my party. I do have a good relationship with him, but I will get an answer to this as, as soon as I can. OK, and just as an aside on that recruitment issue, we just every time we talk about waiting lists or we talk about children waiting for services, we're kind constantly hearing the HSC say, oh, it's a recruitment issue, it's a recruitment issue. Is there anything being done to sort this recruitment issue? Well, they're trying to improve terms uh, of health staff. Uh, there's a new, for example, consultant uh, contract um, that a lot of consultants are signing up to, which means that uh, they, these consultants would be public um, healthcare consultants only. Uh, I think that's important in that it's uh, the biggest waiting names that we see for different procedures, etc., is uh, in the public system as opposed to the private system. So I, I think that's really important. So efforts are being made to try make it more, I suppose, lucrative, more attractive for for consultants, consultants for a start to to remain within the public sector. Um, no, every effort has to be made to make it attractive as well for all the other healthcare uh, uh, providers out there. Nurses are just as important as consultants, ambulance drivers, and uh, paramedics are just as important as as nurses. Um, we need we need to make it more attractive. We need to make it more attractive than those who and what we're seeing at the moment is places like Australia uh, and and Canada and other uh, jurisdictions or the the private sectors they are able to offer um, uh, huge amounts of money for for uh, newly qualified nurses, for example. That needs to be tackled. That needs to be tackled, and um, and we have to do that. We must remember, although there was a lot of coverage of the HSC budget in in recent months. Uh, the HSC budget has gone from 14 million to 24, or sorry, 14 billion to 24 billion uh, in just a matter of four years. HSC have a lot of uh, questions to answer here as well in terms of um, efficiency uh, and and sure how that, that money is spent. Did. Exactly, it's a, it's a phenomenal sum, um, and in many ways, uh, I don't blame government for not saying we're not we're going to throw more money at this, more money at this. You can keep throwing money at a problem and not get solutions. It's now up to the HSC to look at innovative ways that we can increase recruitment. And, you know, it comes back to that brass. If you look at the geography of and you know it well, and and a lot of your listeners know it well, you know, it takes three hours, for example, to, to, to travel from the edge of the city down to the Bear Peninsula. And one of the incidents that really, I suppose, prompted me to bring this up is that we had a, a situation where there was a mother in Skibbereen who rang the ambulance for her daughter. Um, and that ambulance uh, took close to three hours to, to arrive. And, and part of the reason it did is that that ambulance had to go from Cork City all the way to Castle Bear uh, and then come back uh, to Skibbereen, uh, which is absolutely ridiculous. And I don't blame the ambulance staff. 
uh, they are doing their best to respond to the calls that they do get. We need more personnel. We need more ambulances. Um, those waiting times are far too high. And the only way that we're going to address that is, is to fill those positions. So uh, okay, that's going to be my priority over the next few And weeks. you are right. Geographically, the area is, you know, is quite unique. And therefore, I think I always felt it should be treated differently to, to any other uh, area. How many ambulances and personnel do we currently have in the West Cork area? So we, uh, in terms of the exact amount of personnel, I can't answer because there's a, a good few staff associated with each uh, of the ambulances. But we have five bases, and we and, and I'm going to I'm going to include McCroom in that, even though it's not a my constituency, but I always uh, think of it as West Cork. We have uh, one base in Clannacilty, one base in Bantry, McCroom, Castonbear, and Skibbereen. So that's served by five ambulances. But in reality, it's not because I described to you that geographical area there. Um, what what is happening in reality because it is a national air ambulance service these ambulances can be called out to Kerry. And I have nothing against the good people of Kerry. They deserve proper ambulance service as well, but that's the nature of what happens. So you can, we at, at one point, from those five bases, we could have an ambulance in Kerry, and we could have an ambulance serving Cork City as well, going from one of those bases. So you can imagine there are the situations where the entire West Cork region is served by two to three ambulances. Now, we do have the air ambulance, and I think that's really important to point that out as well. The state haven't completely sat still in this. They have they are now state funding the air ambulance, uh, which is an unbelievable service in terms of the the times and the and the, the the time it takes for them to serve the peninsulas, which is a big part of the answer. But it doesn't solve all our problems. What we need here is more ambulances, and and I would say that this ambulance, uh, full time ambulance that is due to arrive in Bantry, that must only be the start uh, of of increasing the ambulance service in the West Cork region. Um, you know, it it will make a difference. One twenty four hours. 124 ambulances served by eight personnel it will make a huge difference i've no doubt about that um but talking to staff uh, talking to drivers they are they're under severe pressure you can imagine some of the callouts that they have to deal with you can imagine the pressure that they're under um we must do everything possible to ensure that that's uh, that is decreased so look the onus is on me i'm a government today I, i'm not i'm not washing my hands of this we do have um a plan we just need to get that plan in place as soon as possible Okay, actually, it's interesting you mentioned the air ambulance because Michael in Castletown Bear says, could you ask Christopher, where is the air ambulance now? Uh, you never hear about it uh, anymore. But I think we don't hear about it because there's no, we're not fundraising for it anymore because exactly. it's taken over by the HSC. Exactly. It's, it's, one of the, it's one of the good news stories, uh, something that I've been working on uh, tirelessly to try to get state funding. Um, and also I have to, hats off there to, to um, the Minehens, Michael Minehen and Andrews Minehen up in North Cork. Obviously, it's based up there. Um, they have worked tirelessly in the background to ensure that instead of the air ambulance service having to go cap in hand uh, year on year, month on month, fundraising, um, you know, the amount of press coverage you used to get because it was in crisis, it was on the verge of, of collapse because of funding issues. Thankfully, and uh, I think uh, Michael had, you know, raised the point there that we don't hear about it anymore. I think the reason we don't hear about it anymore is that it, it it's now not uh, begging for funding. It mm. has guaranteed state funding which is a massive positive step look it's not all bad we've increased the national era um, the national ambulance service uh, the budget is 219 million for example for 2023 that's an increase of 50 million so we haven't completely sat on our hands and some bit of credit is due but we're still nowhere near where we need to be an hour. Yeah, but and, it, it, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's not good enough. And I think what's most disappointing was the fact that there was a level of excitement back in, in June and people saying, thank God, when Stephen Donnelly said, look, we're going to put another ambulance in Bantry. There's going to be extra eight additional uh, personnel. And there was a sense of, yeah, people in West Cork are going to be looked after. And then for us, we, here we are in the middle of November and it, it's still not there. It's, it's just it's disappointing. 
Yeah, it's very disappointing. Obviously, there was a level of excitement. It's always nice as a, as a TD to bring your government minister and deliver good news. And there was a, a positive reaction. And I, I must say as well, on that visit, we've, we visited Bantry Hospital and the minister was blown away by the level of activity there. Usually when ministers do hospital visits, you have this kind of ceremonial procedure where people kind of line up and shake hands, etc. With the, with the minister. That wasn't the case in Bantry because it was such a busy hospital. There were so many, uh, as we arrived actually in the medical assessment units where, where the ambulance arrived at Bantry Hospital, um, there were two ambulances actually uh, uh, had just arrived there. When we, met a med- we met an ambulance team there, but people were just busy working. The anesthesiologists, the, uh, the medics, the doctors, the nurses were, it, it was a really busy active place, which, which and you know, you hit the nail on the head there, uh, Patricia, you, you said that you've always felt that West Cork should have special treatment. So Bantry Hospital's um, status as a hospital is a special hospital. It's it's given that special status because of its geographical area. Uh, even though we have a national, a national ambulance service, I do believe that that special status should be extended to West Cork. 100%. Fa- fast geographical area, the peninsulas, the yeah. islands. Lives the islands and are. lives will be saved. I mean, that's, exactly. that's, uh, that's ultimately exactly. what it's all about. Listen, uh, Christopher, keep us posted and thank you for that and thanks for joining us. We'll do. You'll be okay. first to know if I, if, I, if I get details on that. Thank you for that. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, West Cork, Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan 0818 103 103. Bernie's taking your calls this morning. You can text or WhatsApp us to 0862. 103103. She's not hearing me. Good morning, Annette. Can you hear me, Annette? No, for some reason, Annette is not. Uh, oh, sorry, the wrong one. Good morning, Annette. Morning, Trish. Sorry, I had the WhatsApp fade up. I'm sick. <laughs> poor, right. poor Bernie outside. Uh, firstly, how are you? Are you doing okay? I'm all right. I mean, just exhausted still, but I'm fine. Okay. Yeah, now, so we need we, we need to go back. This is, was it Saturday or Sunday evening? Saturday, Saturday evening, evening, yeah. Sitting at yeah. home, watching a bit of TV, like all yep. of us, relaxing, chilled out. Fire on, yeah. F- fire on. Outline yeah. what happened next. Um, it was about 10.30, I think. Um, I was in a daze. I had the lights off. I was just watching telly. Um, just myself and the three dogs at home when the carbon monoxide and smoke alarm both went off at the same time. And um, so I stood up um, and I realised straight away that my head was quite woozy, quite foggy. Um, and when I flicked on the light, I realised there was actually a bit of smoke starting to build up in the room. But at that stage, the carbon monoxide um, fumes, I presume you call them, were already after building up in the room and probably in the house. And so I just opened the sitting room window, opened the back door, opened the front door. Um, but I wasn't well. I, I knew I wasn't quite. I was boozy and I was feeling very sick, you know, like I wanted to get sick. And because I was on my own, I didn't want to take any chances, so I phoned the ambulance. I knew I wasn't right. And the fire brigade arrived actually first. And they put me on oxygen and they basically cleared the house from there, checked the fireplace, checked everything. And seemingly it's down to new smokeless fuel that we're burning, it causes the chimneys to block up an awful lot faster than what they averaged before on the normal 
coal we used to have. So, so have you just an, have you an open fire, normal fireplace? Yeah, I do. Do you regularly get your chimney cleaned? Absolutely, Trish. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, I get it done once a year, definitely before. Normally, actually, before I start lighting the fire again in the winter. Yeah. And so it was actually due to be done this week. Um, so I just obviously was just waiting to get it done and had my fire lighting regardless. Um, didn't think it would be an issue because it never has been before. And I'm in this house 10 years. Um, and when did you switch over to the smokeless fuel? Uh, that would be this just this season, I think, isn't it? This okay, is all right, all right. So this it. is your first year with it, and and yeah. yet within a year, it yes. built it built up. You're saying it did, it did, it built up enough that the chimney was not blocked, but not as clear as it should have been. Have you haven't had a clean clean since? No. No, I'd no. be in, interested. Let me know when you do get it cleaned. It'd be interesting to see what the chimney sweep says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it yeah. Should be here now next week. I would and, imagine. Yeah. And did you? What? By the way, what is the carbon monoxide alarm? Is that? The, does it sound the same as the smoke alarm? Oh God, no! It's got the loudest screech. It's way, way louder. Um, way more um, urgency to it, you know, than the smoke alarm does, you know, um, because I, I honestly hadn't clue what was after happening and what was going on when I heard that alarm because I'd never heard it before. And they and both it, they both went off together though? Both went off together. Yeah, yeah. Completely mad how uh, the carbon dioxide alarm probably should have gone off quicker but maybe it was because I had the system door open so the, the, the fumes weren't built up inside in the one room. It probably had gone through the house at that stage, you know. And um, and so that's why um, they 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 both went off together then. So um, it was just 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 the way it went. Yeah, it was mad, like absolutely. And mad. if you know, a lot of people will watch TV, and if it's boring, might nod yeah. off yeah. Uh, to yeah, sleep. Yeah. I mean, if you had not, no, hopefully the alarm would have. The alarm probably would have woken me, but um, but yeah, thankfully I'm just not one of those people that falls asleep in front of the television. It's just not something I've ever done. So, uh, but I know a lot of people do, and but, it's scary. Yeah, but do you very, say very scary. up to that point you were you were feeling okay? But it was when you stood up you got the oh. kind of the lightheaded feeling, was oh, it? Oh yeah, I was really trish. Yeah, I knew straight away something wasn't right, and it wasn't like you know that I was dozing off because I wasn't. It, it was just my head was uh, completely muggy, and I was feeling very sick. And when the fire brigade arrived. I now the, the, to be fair, the operator that I spoke to told me to get out of the house and stay out. Yeah. I, I remember her saying that, but obviously I didn't pay full attention, or I just wasn't right because when the fire brigade arrived, I was back in the house again. I don't know what I was doing, to be honest. With the windows, and, with the windows and doors open. With the windows and doors open, but still and all, when the fire brigade arrived, the first thing they did was they jumped out of the fire engine and they screamed at me to get out of the house. So I was like trying to rush in to get out of the house and sure he ended up tripping in and spraining my ankle getting out the front door. So just to add, you know, <laughs> one more thing to the mix. Not sure why not. for good measure, you know. <laughs> and what what did the ambulance, what did the fire brigade do? So the fire brigade, um, I, I only remember one man and that was Callum and I know him from fundraising. He does a lot of fundraising around town and he just sat me down on the bench out the front and put me on oxygen straight away. 
and never left my side because um, I started, you know, as I said, I was starting to feel a bit sick. So every so often I'd have to pull off the mask and, you know, empty reaches if I was yeah. going to be sick. Um, and then the rest of them, they were in and out of the house. I, I don't know what they did. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I assume they just put out the, dampened oh, they the fire. The fire. Yeah, yeah. They took out because everything that was in the fireplace, you know, the, the, the sush or whatever, yeah. was all out, still all outside the front of the house. And then they just open all the doors and windows to clear. <laughs> Goodness, you still is that cough from the event? It is, Trish. Unfortunately, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at the doctor's yesterday, so now my chest is clear. I like I do. Yeah. There is no infection, and I suppose it's just the the after effects of the smoke inhalation and the fumes, you know. So, um, so yes, yeah, so I still feel sore. I feel very raw. You know, when you get a really sore, raw throat. Yeah, and it goes yeah. down to your chest, and like every word feels like you're scraping yourself in the inside, and that's just what it is. And I, I, I'm like, I'm not sick. Yeah, it's just, 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 just the residue. Yeah, yeah. Residue Goodness me! Out. And uh, you've <clears> had, <throat> okay. How long have you had carbon monoxide alarms installed in your house? Um, I am thinking it's just over a year. My landlord is super, super safety. He's very safety conscious. So. I actually have four carbon monoxide alarms in the house, which I thought, to be honest, he was overdoing it. But anyway, um, so I've one in here in the kitchen, I've one in the sitting room, one in the hall, and one in the landing upstairs. And plus I have two or three smoke alarms as well in the house, um, which would be probably a lot more than what other people have. But again, as I said, my landlord is just super safety conscious, you know. But they, it's it, but listen, so important. It's it, Let's so call it a spade a spade. It saves your life. We, oh, we know is. and have heard of people <clears throat> who get so, because what happens is that woozy feeling, you eventually go off into a deep sleep that nothing's going to wake you uh, no, from because it, you, you go unconscious. You go unconscious. It's not even that you fall asleep. You go unconscious. That's it. You know, it just knocks you out, you know. And um, had how, how much longer I would have been in that sitting room if the alarms hadn't gone off, I don't know. But I, I like I would have been there for another. I would have been watching television, and I would never have known any different. And both myself, myself and the three dogs would have been gone. Actually, Anna uh, says, "Hi, Patricia, listening to Annette, and I'm wondering about her dogs, uh, but wishing her well as well. <laughs> were, were, the, the, were the dogs affected? The dogs, no. Thankfully, they seem to be unaffected. I think." One of them was upstairs anyway, Misty, because she hates fires, so she thought it was upstairs. She's a rescue. We don't know what happened to her, but she hates fires. So she always gone upstairs. But Spud and Molly were in the sitting room with me. Molly was buried under the blankets and Spud was behind the couch. So I don't know how they weren't affected. But you, weren't. you got them out as well, obviously. I did, because I, I, as soon as I jumped up and, you know, started feeling woozy, I went around opening the windows and the doors. The dogs knew something was wrong. So yeah. I put them out the back. And then, like, obviously, because I was on the phone to the ambulance, you have to clear your house before they can come in, you know, because they don't know if the dogs are safe or not. So you always have to clear your house of dogs before the paramedics or whoever arrive. So the dogs were out the back literally straight away. All right, so they were, and, then, and they're not showing any any no, signs. No, they're both, they're all fine. And then my neighbour, God bless her, Rashida, across the road, she came over, and as soon as she knew I was okay, her next thing was like, "Where are the dogs? Where are the dogs?" Because she was a massive animal lover. So she was actually talking to the dogs over the side gate for ages before she went into the house, keeping them calm. And Meg, yeah, they were brilliant. Yeah, great okay. All right, but it's a cautionary tale. And, oh yeah, please. Just and everybody for, for everybody, so, make so make sure you have. Uh, carbon monoxide alarms with batteries in them if they're not the electric ones Absolutely. and the same with your smoke alarms uh, listen, and get 
get your chimneys to, cleaned okay. and be very, and, very careful. And I would be interested if you let us know when I your will. chimney sweep comes. Yeah, I'd be interested be to see. In yeah, I'd be interested to see what, what he has to say. Okay, yeah. listen, thank you for thank that, Annette, and uh, thanks Appreciate for sharing it. that with us. Uh, good morning bother. to you. Bye bye. That is Annette Nagel from uh, Mallow on the importance of carbon monoxide alarms. 0818 103 103. Uh, Bernie's taking your calls. Calls and comments coming into the programme. We very much welcome those. Before we get to some of the comments on topics we've been discussing this morning, listen to this in from a listener saying, good morning to all. I'd just like to point out something that I came across. It was about an hour ago. I was coming down Lacanaluha, that's an area in Mallow, and I was heading into the town centre. There's been roadworks in that area last week, but they appear now to be finished. As I was in a line of cars, I noticed a man in a wheelchair on the footpath. Cars were passing him by non-stop. He was stopped dead in his tracks on the footpath. And the reason why was the road crew thought it was a good idea to block the complete footpath. There was a large cone, one of those large folding signs, which was weighed down with a sandbag. As I got closer, I saw a man driving a minibus. It was a company somewhere in Wing. The man stopped, got out and he moved the obstacles on the footpath that had prevented this wheelchair user from progressing on their journey. My point being, how can a company uh, in this instance be allowed to obstruct a footpath, particularly when there's no work going on? The number of Also, the number of people who passed by and didn't offer assistance to this man in the wheelchair is unbelievable. Now, we'll give some people the benefit of the doubt and maybe they didn't notice the man in the wheelchair. But yeah, it's uh, truly awful to think... How long was he there waiting for and for that man in the minibus from a company in Wing? I'd love to know the name of that driver who obviously saw what this person had seen because I'm assuming that this listener would have done the same thing as uh, he or she got closer but the man in the minibus got there first but often to think that lots of other people were just driving by and that nobody took the time to say hold on now a second we're all busy we're all going going about our day but this man in the wheelchair needs to go about his day as well and needs to try to live as an independent life as possible but to literally be stuck there and wasn't able to move the obstacles in order to get across uh, the road. Well done by the way to that bus driver from Wing and thank you to Whoever sent that in by WhatsApp to 0862103103. Some reaction to Annette Nagel in the last hour talking about her carbon monoxide alarm going off. Now, she says uh, she's led to believe it's something to do with the smokeless coal and smokeless fuel that she's been using. And she's promised to come back when she gets the chimneys due for another sweep. Even though it was only done, she gets it done uh, every year. But Conan Terrelton says, Patricia, I've been using smokeless coal since 2015 and there's very little dirt in the chimney. I get my chimney swept every September and the ash vacuum doesn't even half fill and and obviously it's very different between when Con was using uh, smoky coal as opposed to the smokeless so he's saying that it isn't got anything to do with certainly not to do with smokeless coal I, I mean I know Annette mentioned smokeless fuel, so I don't know if she's using something else on top of the coal uh, or not. But anyway, um, she's been led to believe it's because of that. And that's why she wanted to share her story to tell people to make sure that they are getting their chimneys uh, cleaned. And Anthony says Annette's story really does show the importance of having carbon monoxide and smoke alarms in our house. Anthony remembers a teacher of his when they were in college who said whenever she goes away, as soon as she books into a hotel or an apartment block, the first thing she does before she even unpacks a bag if she explores the fire exit 
as she feels it is important and I agree that few minutes can be crucial in helping to uh, save a life says Anthony. Thank you for that. And then some reaction to Christopher, Deputy Christopher Sullivan who was talking about the need for more ambulances in the West Cork uh, area and Michael was asking about the air ambulance and why don't we hear about the air ambulance and I put that to Christopher but of course it's because the air ambulance back in March I think of this year it was taken over by the HSE so there isn't that frantic need when it was a community air ambulance where people were out fundraising and countless times we were in danger of the air ambulance being grounded because they didn't have the money for the fuel so the HSE saw in their wisdom they took over the air ambulance so that's why we don't hear a lot about it uh, it's in Rathcool outside of Mill Street I certainly hear it in the air and see it in the skies a lot so it is very busy Michael reckons we need a second air ambulance for speed and efficiency and he's also wondering has the HSE put in any landing pads for the air ambulance I don't know I mean wasn't there the huge there, is, there isn't one at CUH isn't it it usually has to has to drop down into a local GAA uh, pitch it doesn't make any sense every hospital should have some kind of a landing uh, pad because I did notice that in the, the new children's hospital whenever that opens they have a landing pad up on the roof which is going to be vital uh, going forward and then staying on ambulances hi Patricia this was about 10 years ago now I don't know what area of the city or county this was in but a listener says about 10 years ago it was New Year's Eve my father-in-law died of a heart attack why? because all the ambulance were out I felt treating drunks last year as I was at home waiting for an ambulance to collect my father which took hours to come my mother got a mini heart attack while waiting for the ambulance I assume it was the stress of waiting for the ambulance for her husband they both ended up being taken away in the back of the same ambulance I hear the same excuse every day it's all down to recruitment so what about all the qualified paramedics and other health professionals that you often have on your programme who are working abroad they say they're working abroad because they can't get a full time post here in in Ireland. It's a lot of nonsense I feel that they can't recruit. It's the same with GPs and hospital doctors. There are plenty of doctors after coming in from Ukraine. I don't know if there's that many from Ukraine anyway, but they can't get a position here in Ireland. What is the problem with all of these qualified da- doctors? I feel the answer is the top brass needs to uh, change. But you see, there's another problem with uh, recruitment, uh, particularly to do with those that are going abroad. And there's a lot of countries are actively targeting our medical staff because they know how highly qualified and how highly trained our nurses and doctors uh, are. So they're offering all of these big packages. Uh, But if you speak with particularly young nurses and uh, doctors, and if they want to work in any of the big hospitals in any of the major cities, it's the cost of accommodation, even with what people would see as well pay. If they can get accommodation, it's just outrageously priced. I mean, until we get a hold on our housing crisis, we are going to continue to find it difficult to recruit. I only last week spoke about the lack of teachers, primary school uh, teachers and it's across secondary school teachers as well. And one of the biggest problems the local principals will tell you is that when they put out a job offer, they might even offer the job to somebody but then when that person goes to try to find accommodation, they can't find accommodation. So it's like it's almost like a vicious circle. But yeah, I'm with you on the recruitment. It just seems to be used too much as an excuse. No matter what 
what section of the HSE we're talking about, you know, where it's children trying to access any of the uh, special needs therapies uh, or people trying to get in on hospital waiting lists or whatever it is. We're constantly hearing about this recruitment shortage, there's a recruitment, uh, you know, there's just not staff there. We need to get a handle on that. And I think it is very much tied in with our housing uh, crisis. But then on a good news story from the ambulance, a listener says, an ambulance came to my son. It was the Sunday of the August bank holiday weekend this year. They arrived to our house in 17 minutes. They then took him to Bantry Hospital. He had two collapsed lungs. Bantry Hospital kept him alive before then sending him on to Cork that evening. Well done to both services. You see, when it works and when there, when there is an ambulance available. But that, I think, is the problem that Christopher Sullivan is trying to highlight. We don't have enough. And I think the geographical nature of West Cork, we need extra ambulances. So there were one ambulance is out. There's a second ambulance there available when that call comes in. But well done and I hope your son uh, has made a full recovery. And Daniel said, great po- points made by that uh, TD, West Cork Doll Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan. Watching the Gaza hospitals on TV, you see wounded patients are rushed in. There's no waiting in ambulances. There's no waiting at the A&E. This continuous pressure excuse is caused partially by shocking HSE mismanagement. Minister Donnelly was brilliant with ideas when he was in opposition. West Cork, like the rest of the west coast of this country, never seems to matter to those in Dublin. Thanking you. And that's from uh, Daniel, uh, who feels that people on the west coast somehow are neglected. And I know whenever we talk about decisions that are made in Dublin, people say, have they ever stepped foot in West Cork or on the west coast of this country do they know what life is like for the people who live there 0818103103 some of your thoughts coming in John O'Donovan in the city was on this is to do with the council meeting that was held last night where a UCC a retired professor from UCC was talking about the robot trees and he seemingly said at this council meeting that they're useless the council have accepted that they're no good but they're now decided to keep them for another year it costs about 17,000 for the upkeep per year and seemingly one councillor stated that 17,000 is a drop in the ocean from the council budget. I mean these robot trees have come under a lot of uh, spotlight and I think kicked off back last month when a study came out into the robo uh, trees and it showed that it failed to provide conclusive proof of improved air quality and then the council obviously then started to face renewed calls uh, to scrap them. How long the robot trees there. They're there since 2021. They were part of a Green City initiative. The City Tree Units was what it was called and they were installed. But I remember having discussions at the time about the cost of putting in those robo trees. It was over €400,000 and then they come with this annual maintenance cost which exceeds 17000 every year. They were described as the world's first biotech fine dust filter for urban uh, spaces. Uh, but a report presented by the city's Cork City Council's Environment, Water and Amenities Strategic Policy Committee found no consistent evidence of improved air quality. And the report, which was carried out by UCC 
at a further cost, by the way, of 2,500, did acknowledge that the readings were taken on a low pollution day where improvements will be difficult to spot. But that hasn't stopped, obviously, the renewed calls for their removal. removal. And I don't know why they decided to do the report on low pollution days. But anyway, they did. And in the wake of the report, then various options were presented uh, to the council. And one of them was just get rid of them. Others was just uh, to leave them uh, there. But then there was also talk that maybe they need to commission further resource further research into the benefits but of course further research is just going to cause more and more uh, money. Anyway the decision has been made that they're going to stay in place according to John for another year and that's going to be a cost of about €17,000 that won't sit well with all. 0818 103 103 lines are open. C103 Jobs Truck driver wanted is for a multi-drop rigid or arctic deliveries. It's across Cork City and County and it's for Tria Oil Products. Contact Patrick on 87 Fuller part-time HGV driver is wanted for Kelcro Transport. Full licence and an up-to-date CPC necessary 029 70296. The Charleville Plant hire, have a vacancy for an office administrator, full or part-time position with flexi hours available that might actually suit school hours if required. CVs to dcarroll at cphlimited.ie. And full-time healthcare assistants are wanted for Maria Goretti Nursing Home that's based in Kilmallock. Please apply in writing with your CV to admin at mgnh.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 today on C103. Now a survey by Pennies has found people plan to spend on average €582 on presents this Christmas. Now that's compared to people who said they were going to spend €1,200 last year. The survey is surely reflecting how the increase in the cost of living is affecting so many households. So to offer words of advice I'm joined by Michael Kilcoyne who's chair of the Consumer Association of Ireland. Good morning to you Michael. Good morning to you, Patricia. Now, this, of course, is the second year where we have high fuel bills. So does it come as no surprise to you that people will simply have less to spend this Christmas? No, it doesn't come as any surprise. In fact, uh, we had been expecting this um, because people are, many people are at the pin of their collar uh, trying to make ends meet. As you said, the cost of fuel cost of uh, uh, has has that in itself has contributed to the rise in the cost of living because within the country everything is transported by by truck um, in terms of uh, goods delivered to the shops and the stores if the price of diesel goes up then the cost of transport and product goes up um, and of course the other thing is that uh, many of the uh, increases that has been given to people on on um, um, static payments like old age pensions, um, uh, like um, people who are on disability payments, 
uh, and so on. There, many of them are once-off payments, and once-off payments are no use really because once the once-off payment is gone, you're back to the basic that you had. Uh, so instead of um, giving uh, a weekly increase, and I accept it, that yes, there was a weekly increase given of um, about um, 12 euro on average, which is really half of what was needed. Um, the thing about giving uh, once-off increases in a lump sum means that as soon as the lump sum is gone, the people are back to where they were. Yeah. But if you take at the moment that um, 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 a barrel of oil is, is about 80 euro and uh, um, the cost of the pump is about 180, give or take a, a few cents. Mm. Um, and the last time uh, that... Um, Oil was at eighty dollars a barrel. The price at the pumps was um, about one fifty thereabouts. So, um, yeah, because I I actually mentioned you yesterday because I saw a newspaper article where where you were quoted talking about it and and you know went so far as as to you reckon there's profiteering going on. Well, somebody's making a killing on it. We're told by the people at the petrol pumps, and I have no reason. Um, to disbelieve them that their margin uh, uh, is, is uh, cents, a few cents on on, uh, on the litre. Um, so uh, it seems to me that it's 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 further up the the line that the big money is being made, um, and that's why I asked for the European uh, um, Consumer Directorate to investigate what's happening in the oil. Uh, industry throughout Europe because these prices are huge. Now, I have to say to you that the cost of a litre of diesel at the moment, or a litre of petrol as well, is about €1.80. Of that, the government is getting €1. Yeah. Uh, so over I mean, isn't yeah, that is one of the biggest problems whenever we talk about the cost of fuel and when people go abroad and see, you know, how much a litre of petrol, how much a litre of diesel is, everyone goes, oh, my God, how can it be so much cheaper abroad? And of course, as we have to continuously point out the amount that goes to the exchequer in taxes and duties. Correct. And, and you will see, have seen that even last September, the, the cost uh, increased um, because a government reapplied um, um, excise duty and then VAT goes on top of that. And um, so at the moment, more than half, people need to understand this, more than half the cost of a litre of diesel or petrol goes to the government, goes to the state in taxation. And, and sure, that's making a huge difference. And the same applies in relation to um, um, other services as well, where there is... Um, VAT rates, um, many of them have come back from um, 9% to, are uh, gotten back to 13.5%. The hospitality uh, sector, which is hairdressing and, and, and beauticians. And all, even, all even in the even in the last month's uh, budget, there was a two cent increase in uh, carbon tax that went on to petrol and diesel. And there was VAT on top of that two cent. Correct. The government <laughs> is, it's tax upon tax. Yeah. Uh, and, and the effect of this is to shove up further the cost of living because at the end of the day, the consumer um, is the only one that can pay it. And the consumer is the, the person who is at the end of the line and who has to pay if he wants to get the product. And, of course, that's all separate from the huge uh, rent that's been paid by many people 
who um, are renting their accommodation. Um, and, and there is, I mean, there's no rent cap imposed uh, generally other than in the cities. But in, in the smaller towns, there is no rent cap. So when you see um, and uh, uh, the prices of uh, accommodation increasing maybe by two or three hundred euro a month, that's more than some people are getting per week uh, in their total income. Yeah. Um, so it's no wonder that people have less money to spend. Yeah, that, yeah, and um, I, and I and, know. Uh, but just going back to that research, um, that study that was carried out by uh, Pennies, um, I thought it was interesting that sixty uh, percent of people are planning to buy uh, vouchers, <coughs> uh, and always coming up to Christmas, um, it's usually with your good self or somebody from the Consumers Association. People need to be careful when buying vouchers because we have seen countless times over the years. Sadly, you know, a business closes. And if you've got a voucher in your hand and the business is closed, it can be worthless. Uh, absolutely. Um, it, it, it's, it's OK giving a voucher at, at Christmas, but the person who is receiving it should really be using it within the shortest possible time. Because places do go out of business and uh, a voucher is not a priority uh, in law against the business that's closing down. Um, in fact, it's worthless because um, nobody else is going to take it. They have received the money from the person who decided uh, to give you the gift. Um, so my advice is, um, in the case of, um, of vouchers, uh, make sure you use it fairly fast. Or better still, rather than giving uh, uh, somebody a voucher, Stick the few quid in, in, in yeah, the give, 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 give them cash. And would you also, would your advice also be to try and shop as local as, as possible? I mean, from a consumer point of view, if something goes wrong, it certainly is easier to sort it out. But also, it keeps the local money in the economy, doesn't it? Well, that would always be our advice, Patricia. We would always say to people, look, shop local in the local store and... Um, they will be uh, there, hopefully they'll always be there. Um, but also if there's something wrong with the product, you can go back to them. And generally, generally I have to say they'll they'll sort you out. You don't have to be uh, waiting for a courier to come and collect it and take back the quality product and then wait another few days to get it um, um, a new one back in its place. Uh, that's if you're buying online. Maybe hassle over getting your 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 the the amount of credit back to your mm. cares, all of this kind of stuff. Um, and um, yes, I know people buy online because sometimes um, it's cheaper. But apart from that, uh, they don't have to go to the trouble of going out in crowds shopping. But it's really important that. Uh, people shop locally. Yeah, I think now, I think this year more than ever, I think it, it really is uh, vital. Yeah, because in the local shop, there's local people working. Yeah, and, yeah. And they are getting, um, some of them coming up to Christmas now, um, the young people um, would, would, would get a, a few hours here and there. And that makes a big difference to them because it's a few bob coming up to the Christmas. Yeah. Um, and local business, local shops, 
jobs should be supported it's, for many reasons. It's a, it's, it's a win-win. Just go back to petrol and diesel. Dennis in Charleville has just been on to say he happened to be in Spain last week. Uh, diesel was one between €1.28 uh, and the highest he saw it at was €1.32. He also finds at weekends that prices go up and, and then down again on Monday. Uh, he fears there is profiteering going on because the fuel companies are owned by just a few people. Now, the explanation for Spain is because they don't have the same taxes and excise duty as us. Uh, yeah, and that's that's fair comment. Bear in mind, Ireland is the, the country that um, fleeces its ordinary consumers with taxation. Uh, that's the ordinary people in the country. Um, and at the same time, they say to big companies like Apple, you don't owe us any tax. You don't owe us the 13 billion. And in fact, we'll give taxpayers money to help defend you to try and get us washed. But at least, I'll say one thing for the people in Europe uh, and the the, uh, um, the courts in, in, in Europe in relation to tax, taxation and the preliminary report that has come out, they're saying this tax is due. And uh, like, you'd be appalled really to think that um, a company like, like Apple who um, um, is making a lot of money who owes this in ta- amount of money in taxation um, that the, government, the government it wants to give it back or doesn't want, want, and, doesn't and, want and, to take and, it. But I suppose on the, the flip side of that is Apple employ a lot of people. Yeah, but so, so does every other company. I mean, every job is a job like. Yeah. And if there's one company being taxed, the other company should be taxed the same. Yeah. And, and um, 13 billion would make a big difference in, in, this, con- in this country at the, um, uh, at the moment. Uh, Emily Correct. wonders, oh, sorry, uh, somebody's making the point that refinery costs are very high. It's an energy intensive activity. And don't forget, we've got shipping costs have gone through the roof uh, since the outbreak of the uh, Middle East conflict. So please don't blame the garage owners. Uh, but in fairness, I'm, I'm we not haven't. blaming, we I'm haven't, not blaming yeah. the garage owners yeah. on this one. And, they uh, make a very small margin. Absolutely. This is somewhere, I mean, somewhere along the line. Um, in the few people that um, um, refine the oil, oil, take the oil out of the ground, uh, and of course the government. That's where the problem is. And I'm saying that this should be investigated by by uh, the European Consumer Movement and the Consumer Directorate in the European Commission. Because at the end of the day, they're the people with the power um, and there's there's no real competition. If there was real competition, there wouldn't be such a huge variation um, in uh, over the last number of years in terms of um, the cost. As I said, when it was eighty euro a barrel a few years ago, it was one fifty. Yeah, and I think what annoys a lot of people, Michael, is that when we hear about the barrel of oil going up on the world market, and we know at one stage uh, it was predicted that it might go to $100 a barrel, but it didn't. It went the opposite. It went back down to 80. But whenever it goes up, we see it increase at the pumps very quickly. It's always much slower to come back down. And I think that's what frustrates people. Yeah, but you have the same with the, the cost of your electricity. Yeah, exactly the same. The the uh, oil and gas that they're using to generate electricity has dropped substantially, but to the ordinary consumer, we're still paying huge. Yeah, still paying. And 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 bear in mind that some people can't afford um, to pay their electricity bills. They've had to get meters installed and 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 put in their you know their credit. Pay as That's you go. how things are.
are gone in this country. And that's one of the richest countries in the world. And Emily wonders uh, from Michael, when will we start to see the price of food falling? She finds her grocery shop seems to be more expensive every single week and she's watching every item that she is putting in. I know the latest Kandar, the retail analysis uh, is, uh, uh, is out and, you know, they're continuing to show while it's dropping slightly, we have still have very high inflation on our supermarket baskets. Oh, yeah, we still have very high inflation. Uh, and, and that's why I went back and, 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 and talked earlier about uh, the government when it gave, when it gave um, um, the increases in social welfare. In, in, instead of increasing the weekly rate substantially for people who are dependent on social welfare, like pensioners, like people with disabilities and so on, um, they just give them a lump sum which is gone as soon as as soon as they spend it and, and that their basic is back to the same as it was. Um and and this is a policy of government um to make it look as if you're getting a lump sum, but you need the money every week because like Emily there she has to they have to do their shopping every week. Yeah. And if they're not getting their income, how how are they going to uh, how are they going to make ends meet? Yeah, and that latest supermarket survey uh, shows that uh, take-home grocery sales in Ireland increased by 7.2% in the four weeks to the end of October. The rise has been driven by increasing prices rather than shoppers buying more. Exactly what Emily's saying. She's questioning everything she's putting into her basket. OK, listen, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Michael. Thank you for that. And thanks for okay. joining us this morning. Good morning. Good morning to you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Bye bye. That is Michael Kilcoyne, who is chair of the Consumer Association of Ireland. 0818 103 103. Our lines are open. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Today on C103. Now, Red and Blue Theatre Company was founded by husband and wife duo Dylan Kennedy and Jenny Fennessy. He from Cork and she from Waterford. And following two sellout shows, they're back with their latest offering, which is called Taboo. And I'm delighted to say Dylan and Jenny join me live in studio. It's advance of a run at the Cork Arts Theatre. And then there's two nights at the Palace Theatre in Formoy next month. Good morning to you both. And it's great to have you in studio. It's it's been a long time. I'm told it's nearly two years since you were last in studio. We did the flags in June 2022. Is it that long? Well, where does the time go? Now, this is described as a dark comedy. Who wants to tell me the storyline of Taboo? Um, I think we'll probably both chip in and each other out. Your your mic is a bit off there. If you just try the other one over, just just jump over there. You just seem to be a bit off mic. No, is that better? That's much better. That's much better. That middle one mustn't be working. Sorry about that. I'm separating you now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, tell us us the story. So it's about uh, a couple of people who um, they don't know each other at the beginning of the play. They um, haven't had a date in real life in years. They're in their 30s. And Lily, that's Jenny's character, invites Tom around for dinner. And the play is set in real time. So it's over a three course meal, which means we have to eat potato and leek. Chicken mushroom pie. Chicken mushroom pie and rhubarb and ice cream every night (laughs) if the show is on. Um, (laughs) And they, the, uh, when the play starts, they're presenting the best version of themselves. As they're, you do on yeah, a date. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And then things start to unravel. And as the play progresses... It's um, more difficult for them to like hide the truth about yeah, who they really are. Exactly. 
Is it awkward? I'm think, I, when I was reading about it, I was thinking, oh my God, I'm sitting in the audience watching this date go disastrously wrong. Is there a sense of awkwardness, which I love the idea, can I say, from the audience? I think they'll definitely feel awkward at certain points, but I yeah. think they'll be really entertained as well. I think it's a good mix, and that's what we love about the play. It's a really good mix of being really good fun and quite thought-provoking at the same time. So I think, I think fun and awkward is and a great way to describe it. The characters are a little awkward. I don't know, it's not giving anything away if yeah. I say at the beginning, Tom... The character I'm playing is a little bit nervous. Lily pours him some wine. Lily's never had wine in her life. Um, But she's happy to, like, try everything once, as she says. He spills some on his trousers. She doesn't want him to use her bathroom. So it's all, like, (laughs) (laughs) navigating. Because she hasn't cleaned the bathroom (laughs) in advance. And we've all been there. Yeah, we've we've all been there. And eating while on stage. I know, Patricia. It is going to be quite the challenge. And, And Dylan's character... Goes back for loads of bread. He has a second portion of the main oh, course. So, oh. in fact, I think it's going to be easier for me than it is for Dylan. <laughs> when I was reading, I was like, oh, sure, it's a big grand. Look, I'll just go in hungry. It'll be fine. Yeah, just don't eat for the day. Yeah. yeah. Jenny's character keeps going, have a bit more bread there, Tom. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, no, yeah. don't say yes. Don't say yes. So, of course, he says, great. Thanks, Lily. <laughs> yeah, and who cooks the meals? Well, actually, we have a lovely neighbour called Maureen Fennessy down the road. And she's going to make the chicken pie for us because that's the, the, the soup will be pretty easy. But Maureen Maureen is on board to make the chicken and mushroom pie for us. Mushroom yeah. Pies. Yeah. <laughs> Bless her. That is yeah. unreal. She's an amazing cook, so yeah. we're delighted. We look forward to that, actually. And then they obviously yeah. have to come out hot, so we'll heat them up in the theatre. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah, That's brilliant. So. I, I love the idea. I just think the storyline behind it is just fantastic. It's written by John Morton. Didn't tell me about John and, and how the play came to you guys. So, funny enough, Jenny and I met uh, doing a play in Kilkenny in 2008, and in that cast was. John okay. um, and then since then he, he has such a sharp mind he was writing all the time and then his writing kind of took off a little bit um, he's written um, Dead Still for RTE which he won an Edgar Allan Poe uh, award for it was screened in Canada as well you know he's a lovely guy and we've kept in touch with him over the years and Jenny and I have been reading so many plays. We must have read about 200 plays to find the right 200. It was really tricky. Yeah. And the right one for us. And yeah. we feel like, we found like with Taboo, we thought that's that's perfect for us. It's fun. It's quirky. It's thought provoking. Yeah, we'll go with that. And then we got on board. We got on to John. He was like, yeah, great. I'd love you to do it. He's coming Tuesday night to see it. Is it? And he's been, yeah. And, and is it a new, is, is it the first staging for him? Or is it, has, has it been staged before? He was actually in it in 2016 oh, in he? Dublin. Yeah. Oh. But He's edited a good yeah. bit of it since then, so yeah. this will be a different version of it. Yeah, it um, and he's, he's going to put Dylan under pressure because he's gone. That's my part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing my part. And the director is Shane Dempsey. Shane, yeah. So Shane's from Clamell, and I met my Shane. hometown. Hey, oh, and he's lovely. And I worked with him earlier this year for the first time in five or six years. We lived together at one stage in London, and he's still in London now. But he's flying home, and he's uh, he's. He's our eye on, eye on us. So he's super. Yeah, he's great. Because you've directed yourselves before. We have. Dylan, you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Dylan's I, yeah. <clears throat> so is that hard to hand that over and say, okay, you do it, Shane? It's a relief. It's is lovely. It? Yeah, is it? and That's it's always been the kind of idea to have someone come and guide the ship for us directing it. Because when we get into the theatre, it's really tricky to be outside it and inside it at the mm. same time. So having Shane there is fantastic. Uh, he's it's brilliant. Great. Yeah. yeah. 
And only the two of you on stage. It's a, yeah. it's a two hundred. That comes with its own pressure. It does. I've never done a two hundred oh, before. No, <laughs> Dylan's done a one man show, so I think you're much more experienced than I am of that know, yeah. going out there. And you know, there's only me. But I've never done. You know, sometimes when you're in a play, you're like, oh, I have this scene off now, and I can do what yeah. I need to. Take a bit of a breather. Yeah, yeah. But none this of that. Is none of that, Patricia. This is going to be a roller coaster. We're starting, and it's just going to keep going. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, well I'm sure you'll both be brilliant. Now, I spoke to you before. Love, Love Song was the first one and I can't believe that that was back in, in 2019 and then Flags was two years ago. Both plays, Dylan, did remarkably well, didn't they? They did and um, fingers crossed this has the same. You never know. It's always like, will people love it as much as we do? Um, so we're hopeful. The The last play was really unique in that I had like two tons of sand on the stage. The first play was really unique and I had all these projected images and it was a mixture of choreography and acting and time. And I guess this one is unique in the in the terms of that it's live date kind of, you know, it's mm-hmm. like the three courses are there, it's real time. Um and it's just you and I for the first time, which is lovely as well. Great. And we're really loving working together. It's great for us. Because you've had a busy year where you've been apart work-wise. Yeah, we Not have. Not marriage-wise, just work-wise. <laughs> just work-wise. <laughs> I was in Dublin for uh, January and what February. What were you doing? Um, I did Romeo and Juliet oh. uh, in, in January and February. And then... Um, Please say you were Juliet. No, I wasn't. I was the nurse. <laughs> How were you? <laughs> Very Mrs. Doyle-like. Yeah. I had a great time. And then just now, I w- we did Hamlet for September and October. So, yeah. we And then Dylan's been all over the place. What have you been up to doing? Um, I worked with a company in Cork uh, at the beginning of the year and then I was in Wexford for another four or five months doing some new writing. Um, They were brilliant. Kind of one of them was a commemoration play about 1920. Well, it was 1921 sort of. Yeah, it's all the tied it all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I just did From Out the Land, which was in Clamel, an enormous show with 80 uh, in the community cast Whoa. there was a band on stage it was in Kickham Barracks yeah, which had been yeah. closed down of course yeah. so we were in the barracks itself um, it was a fantastic production it was just like nothing I've ever done before huge scale um, so we haven't seen each other a lot this year cause, so you've you know, come back now for rehearsals and then boom you're straight into yeah. it yeah and we're, we're working flat out we're working like 12 hours a day aren't we between like Getting doing the script and preparing preparing the props and the set and all those things so it's it's very intense you see that's where it goes back to this is your own company yeah so you're responsible for everything everything yeah our families have been amazing now my mum's painted all the set last week and she's given it the second coat now you've today. always roped the family <laughs> <laughs> we have daddy with the kettle box yeah. bringing everything around for us <laughs> I, I, I'm sure somewhere there's conversations um, in both Dylan and Jenny's family where somebody goes well they not have got a normal nine to five job <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, Patricia. Yeah. And Dylan's dad has been all over putting posters and flyers and everything. We've yeah, had great support from them all. That's yeah. brilliant. It, 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 yeah. it really is great. And, and overall, how is the company going, Jenny? Really well. So when we did that first show, we just didn't know. We did three nights down Waterford, then we brought it to Cork. It all sold out. Standing ovations every night. This was pre-COVID. COVID, it was, yeah. yeah. Um, Sean and Mary got Best Supporting Actors, uh, Actors Award um, down in Waterford's Green, uh, Waterford News and Star Green Room Awards. And then the Flags won Best Play of the Year there last year and Best Supporting Actress and Best Set. Which you got. Which I got, yeah, yeah. We had, so we're really going from strength to strength and we've had great support and it's lovely now when I've been flyering saying we're doing the show and they're like, oh, we saw Love Song and we saw the flags and we'll come back. Whereas initially when you were starting, who were these guys? Yeah, nobody knows us. So at least now we've had that, we've had like a really good success with both those shows. Because it's a big undertaking to decide to set up a 
It is, company. and I think we didn't realise it when we started out. <laughs> Innocence is great. Yeah. Yeah. Naivety is Just great. A, yeah, bold ambition. We were like, well, yeah. we'll do it, it'll be grand. But yeah. yeah, we know now every time we go, okay, we're going to do this. But I, we lived in London for a long time. I think we'd never been able to do it then because we didn't have the support and the people around us. Yeah. Whereas... You had to come home to do yeah, it. Well, we, yeah, when we set up... We, the reason we set up the theatre company is because we came home from London and... Nobody knew us or our work. We weren't getting any auditions and you can't sit at home and wait for the phone to ring. So we're like, why, why don't we find a play we love, put it on and just see how we go. And I think that's how it started. And like, it's one of the most fulfilling things we've ever done. Brilliant. Like, it's the hardest work, but we love it. Yeah. 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 It's never a job when you love doing what you yeah, do. True. Okay. Taboo, it is on in the Cork Arts Centre, Tuesday the 21st to Saturday the 25th. Tickets on sale. And then you are bringing it to Formoy, the Palace Theatre for two nights, isn't it? Thursday Thursday and Friday the 7th and 8th of uh, December and tickets are on sale listen good luck with it it sounds like it's going to be an absolute hoot and it's always a pleasure to have you in the studio so thank thank you for that good morning nobody wants their child uh, to grow up homeless uh, at Christmas and unfortunately it happens and it is We've got a housing crisis, so it's going to happen again this Christmas. And that's why C103, we're teaming up with the Cork Simon community and we're asking you to host a Christmas jumper day. And this is to ensure that help is on hand for those who need it most. Now, signing up is very easy. You go to corksimon.ie and you can hold your Christmas jumper day. You can hold it any day between now and Christmas. You can have it anywhere. You can have it amongst your work colleagues. You can have it in school. If you're at home, you can have it with your family. You can even do it online. So we're asking you this Christmas to please help raise vital funds for Cork Simon uh, with uh, C103 and we're I know uh, Bernie who's um, has named herself the chief elf here at C103. She's organising our Christmas jumper day so you can keep a look out on social media for all of us in our Christmas jumpers and we'll let you know more of that closer uh, to, the tam- to, to the time. And then yesterday I was giving a shout out to the Gertelassa Old Schoolhouse on the Sheep's Peninsula because thankfully they had a very successful craft fair and Deirdre got on just to thank everybody who had attended the craft fair on Sunday with a promise that they're going to do another one uh, in December. Well Deirdre's back on to me this morning. She said just to let people know if you're in that area of the Sheep's Sheepshead Peninsula and you're anywhere near the Gertelassa Old School House that every Wednesday morning from 11 o'clock until 1 they have a social gathering. Now basically it's tea, coffee and a, a chat and what happens is most people who go along on a Wednesday morning they can bring their craft work with them. So you can be sitting chatting with people you can do a bit of crochet a bit of uh, knitting a bit of patchwork whatever kind of craft work you like, like to do and I'm sure if you're not into crafts you can simply go along and just have, have the chat. There's no charge for this social event. They just ask people attending for a little bit of a donation. Obviously it's to cover the cost of heat and ESB uh, etc. And Deirdre says the crack is mighty. She says you can hear the laughter in Bantry. Friends are made, stories are shared, not to mention the lovely items that people have created. You can drop in any week at all. It's very relaxed but Deirdre is warning that if you go along once you will get hooked. It's really, really addictive. She said it's a perfect opportunity to join in the community, which obviously is what the Gertelassa Old Schoolhouse is all about. It's a building saved for the community by the community. And I did mention that uh, yesterday. I love the idea 
of these old schoolhouses or old churches being taken over by a community and keeping it for future generations but at the same time it's been used for the good of the community. So that's Gerta Lassa Old Schoolhouse on Wednesday morning and if you've got some craft work bring it along uh, with you between 11 and 1 every Wednesday morning. Now yesterday on the programme we also spoke about the shortage of taxis and there was a call out that maybe we, the powers that be should start consider bringing Ubers in because it's going to be a massive problem again this Christmas. People are already finding it difficult and it's, we're not even at the Christmas rush yet trying to get to an event or trying to get home afterwards I think is the big problem and we just simply don't have enough uh, taxis. Well John and Bally Dehab who is a taxi driver contacted us to say that the laws in this country when it comes to the taxi regulators, nothing to do with Uber but the taxi regulation, the taxi regulations, they're simply outdated and one of the rules that he points to is in order to be a taxi driver and have a car on the road a car can't be over six years of uh, age and then when you go to buy a new one the car has to be wheelchair accessible in order to get a new, if you want to get a new licence, it's not, if you have an existing licence, this doesn't happen but if you want to, if you're thinking about becoming a taxi driver and God knows we need more taxi drivers but if you're thinking of setting up your own business and becoming a taxi owner it has to be wheelchair accessible so that adds additional costs as well. So he said the regulations all need to change and it isn't as simple as we were kind of outlining, outlining yesterday of saying, oh well we'll just bring in Uber and everything will be sorted. Thank you for that, John. And then we touched on the recruitment crisis when it comes to the hospital setting and the HSE setting and everywhere across the HSE they seem to have a problem recruiting staff. Well, a listener says that all primary schools must, now I've never heard this phrase before, but it's a special year that all primary schools, when they finish in college, they have to undertake a year working in Ireland after graduation. It's kind of a monitored year, I'm assuming. They're all paid for it, but it does mean that all the primary school teachers when they come out of college they're tied to this country then for at least a year so they go into the school setting. Given that the Irish state pays so much to train a doctor at least seven years and didn't we hear uh, last week 12 or last, yeah, last week I'm sure we discussed it, 12 years for a GP. But anyway, it takes years to train a, a doctor. Should doctors not, when they're finished their college part, should they not be forced to work between two two to three years once they qualify? Would that not go a long way to solve the recruitment crisis? Well, I suppose junior doctors are kind of already doing that role at the moment, aren't they? A lot of them are training at the same time on the job, but certainly something has to be done. And how many times have we heard that, that when, you know, we we put a, we invest a lot of money into third level education, and I know it's not completely free. If there's families listening, have got a son or daughter in college, would say it's certainly not free. It can cost a family uh, a lot, but a lot of the money does come from the bones of it comes from the exchequer. And should graduates not in somehow pay back something to the state by staying here, and we'll never stop people once they get trained going abroad for you know for X number of years the majority of them will come back but we just seem to have too many going abroad at the moment 0818103103 Now I spotted this in the paper uh, today and it got me thinking, um, how good are you at recycling? I mean, I like to think that I put everything into the right bins and if, and I've, I'm lucky in that my bin collection, we have four 
I've got four wheelie bins. I've got the one for general uh, waste. I've got the recycling bin. And then I've got the one that you put all the, your food items into uh, the compost bin. And then we've got bottles as well. So certainly for recycling in our household, it's been made very easy by having all of this doorstep uh, bin collection. But how good am I? I'd like to think that I'm quite good at recycling and making sure that nothing goes into the wrong bin. And I'm notorious when people come visiting. I have a famous saying, familiarise yourself with the bins, please because there's nothing worse than you open up a bin and he's, oh, who put that in there sort of thing. Well, I was reading in the papers today that homeowners and businesses, we should all have our bins spot checked by the council to ensure that the waste is separated properly and if it isn't we should be threatened with prosecution. Where's this coming from? It's coming from the Environmental Protection Agency. They say while 520 local authority staff have carried out nearly 200,000 environmental inspections last year, he said in many areas it's not delivering the necessary environmental outcomes be it on water quality or separation of waste. Now poor waste separation still remains an ongoing problem with households and businesses still putting the majority of their waste into the wrong bin. This is according to the EPA. Local authorities, they say, need to enforce the rollout and make sure that the three bin system is in place. And that's making sure that everybody has one for their waste food. And that would improve, they reckon, segregation and increase uh, recycling. Uh, Over two thirds of waste in general households and commercial bins should have been placed in the recycling our organic waste bin, according to the latest data from the EPA. The EPA confirmed it wants to see local authorities now step up checks on homes and businesses, start rooting through the bins to ensure that the waste is being separated properly. And they're saying do that by spot checks and do it by evidence collection. There should be targeted inspections in areas, they say, where data show low compliance. Now, Dave Pollard is with the EPA's Office of Environmental Enforcement and he said improving recycling weights to better segregation of waste in the general recycling and organic bins is essential. If, as a nation, he says, we are to turn the waste into valuable resources and reduce the amount of waste that we're sending to incineration and to uh, landfills. So it just got me thinking, while, while I like to pat myself on the back and think that we are good in our house when it comes to recycling and putting everything into the right bin, I don't know how I'd feel about somebody rooting through uh, the bin. Uh, did I put something in that I shouldn't have put in? So I'm wondering how others would feel about that. And is the EPA right if the threat of knowing that you could have an inspection on your bin any week that you put it out, would that force people's hands to make sure that nothing goes into the wrong bin? Your thoughts welcomed on that. And would fines act as a deterrent? That's what the EPA said it would do. 103. Bernie is taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp as to 0862-103-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. OK, a number of events on this evening, including the Mallow Field Club. They're hosting military historian and author Jerry White. Uh, it's on tonight. He'll speak on the course of Ireland's civil war. It's eight o'clock. It's in the Social Services Centre in Mallow with admission five euro. The Cork Flower Club, they're holding their gala Christmas demonstration tonight at the Rochestown Park Hotel, half seven start. 
Christine Hughes will demonstrate the holly and the ivy. Lots of hints and tips for creating a festive look. All creations then will be raffled with proceeds going to the As I Am, that's the autism charity and Bernardo's tickets are €20 and it does include refreshments. The AGM of the Dara Community Council, they run the local community centre among other community activities. That's taking place between 8 and 9 tonight. All locals are welcome to come along to hear reports of the activities throughout the year and the plans for the coming few months. The Pike Theatre Group in Ballancolic, they've got their monthly Screech tonight. It's in Ballancolic Rugby Club, Channer Park at half eight. Great music, mighty crack, tea, coffee and sandwiches and a raffle, maybe even a dance or two is promised. And there's also been go on in Shambally Moor Community Centre tonight with a jackpot of €2,900. And one for tomorrow. Keep well, keep moving. Health Festival for Older Adults will be held in the Mallow GAA Hall tomorrow between 10am and 3. If you'd like to register, call 021 4928370. And our topics will include the Fair Deal Scheme, Singing for the Brain, Mindfulness, Brain Health, and Aging. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Today on C103. And I can see some of your texts coming in on the EPA uh, calling on local authorities to start carrying out spot inspections on people's bins uh, to make sure that they're separating and recycling uh, properly. Not everyone is in favour. That's a great idea, says this texter, rather sarcastically. Find the bin owners and let the fly tipper who contaminates your bin get off scot-free. Yeah, and that would be a problem if somebody said, well, I put my bin out and everything. I didn't put that bag into it. Yeah, that could be a problem with that for sure. And somebody says, Patricia, it's hard to recycle food waste like it, like what is expected of us when many of us in the countryside have never been given that third bin. Blue and green bins is all we have in many rural areas. Another one of their projects that they can't even get right, which tells you what the people responsible for recycling think of those that do recycle properly. And in fairness to the EPA, while they're calling um, the local authority to start doing these spot checks and start finding people. The EPA also said that the local authorities need to enforce the rollout and use of the three bin uh, system. Every household is meant to have three bins. You're meant to have one for the general waste, which should be the one that you put the least amount into. You're meant to have one for your dry recycling and then you're meant to have one for your organic uh, waste. But you are right, not every, as I say, I'm very lucky that I have that and even have an additional bin because my, the company that I'm with actually collects the glass as well. So you are right. I mean, I don't think they can possibly go around and start inspecting people's bins unless everybody has the correct number of bins that they are expected to have. Thank you for your text to 0862103103. Another one of those issues I spotted in the paper kind of had me scratching my head thinking, what, what is this one all about? And this is to do with laybys. You know the laybys if you're driving along any of the motorways or any of our dual carriages, there's laybys, you know, every, I don't know, I don't know uh, how many miles apart or kilometres apart they uh, are. They're currently used obviously as rest uh, areas for drivers. I'm reading the papers today in the Irish Times that they're to be closed to private motorists. It's a review on the policy on service areas that's been undertaken by Transport Infrastructure Ireland, the TII. And they're planning to restrict access to all of the existing bylaws to emergency services and drivers of heavy goods vehicles only. 
anyone driving a normal car would not be allowed to park in the lay-by. Now, it seems there's currently 28 unserviced lay-bys, and it's these unserviced lay-bys that they're talking about. And they're available to be used by any member of uh, the public. And then there's a 20 enforced areas they're used by uh, the Gardaí. But there's 29 of these unserviced uh, lay-bys. From a total of 49 locations, the TII is proposing to eliminate eight over time and designate the remaining 41 as what they're going to call new laybys for professional drivers only, which would be your emergency services and drivers of heavy goods, vehicles, etc. And then the ordinary everyday motorist, like our good selves, will only be able to use that layby in the case of an emergency. Now, I don't know the, what the emergency is going to be. Could it be the child in the back seat needs to use the loo? Could it be I need to stretch my legs? Would that be deemed an emergency? Now, the move up updates a 2014 policy that saw the need for lay-by on these rest areas uh, given the comparatively few motorway service areas at the time. So it contained an ambition at that stage to see motorway service areas at, at a maximum of 100 kilometres apart. But however, since that was introduced in 2014, there has been a growth in motorway service areas over the last 10 years. And now the vast majority of the network now have facilities. They reckon they're about 60 kilometres apart, not even the 100, which was the original uh, plan. So a spokesperson for the TII said the growth in these motorway service areas on national roads, as well as motorways, meant there are now sufficient numbers of rest areas that are superior to a lay-by. So this new, so they're going to introduce this new policy whereby you won't be allowed to go in lay-bys unless you are a professional driver. Now, there has already been some uh, criticism. I saw one independent uh, TD, Sean Canney, saying the closing of the lay-bys by TII does it not fly in the face of their own advice to never to drive if you're feeling tired. He says it's making no sense because he said every day when he's out on daily commutes, he sees a number of cars in these lay-bys. For some people, it might be that they're tired and want to close their eyes. Those just want to break uh, the journey. They might want to take a call. We're always told, you know, to pull in if you're trying to make a call. But, but so I was kind of scratching my head saying, I really can't. Understand. The laybys are going to remain in place, but they just won't be for private car owners. They'll only be for the professional drivers. Now, see me, the Road Safety Authority are very much supporting the new arrangements. They don't believe that the repurposing will impact uh, road safety. So, you know, I still, I don't fully understand. Now, we'll wait. No doubt we'll hear more about it because it's only in the Irish Times. It's Tim O'Brien writing about it in the Irish Times. No doubt we'll hear more about this uh, policy. But, you know, it opens the question, do you use laybys often? And if so, why Why do you use it? Is it to take uh, a rest? Is it to take a break on a long journey? Or as I say, maybe you need to make a phone call or take a phone call. If you know a layby is there, I'll pull into the layby so I can concentrate on taking uh, the phone call. Or would you agree with TII that yes, there are enough serviced areas along the motorway. So if you need a break, go to one of these service areas instead and don't use uh, the lay-by. But I'd love to know the rationale as to why are they saying the lay-bys are used too much and then they're not available for emergency services or drivers of heavy goods uh, vehicles. No doubt we'll hear more about it. But it is just one of those ones that kind of get you scratching your head because, you know, I, I think that point is right. We're constantly being told that if you're feeling tired, you should pull in. And if there's a lay-by 
close by. Would that be deemed an emergency if the guards then came and said, why are you pulled into the lay-by? Well, I was feeling tired, so I wanted to get a bit of shut-eye rather than keep uh, driving. Anyway, your thoughts welcomed. As I say, sometimes these get introduced and we don't fully understand. I, I, I certainly need more information as to why they're doing it. 0818 103 103. Bernie continues to take your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. I'm Joe Heffernan, who runs a counselling practice in Boherbury, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And I shouldn't be saying good afternoon to you because you weren't meant to be with us today. You were due to have a procedure that got cancelled at the last minute, was it? I, uh, at this, probably around this moment in time, I should be in an operating theatre on the table and nasty things being done to me. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, at the last minute, um, I got two texts uh, yesterday, latest. Um, one was be in the hospital at 7 a.m., which didn't suit me at all. I'd rather it was a bit later. And the other one was a phone call. Uh, your surgery has been cancelled. The, uh, the surgeon concerned is not well. Oh, okay, so fair enough. I that can right. happen. That can happen. That can yeah. happen. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you, it got you thinking then, well, you joined me on the radio instead, and you got you thinking about uh, quotes. Re, this is to do with illness and it's to do with coping. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I, I look up a few things now that are kind of relevant to my own situation. Yeah, your own And many, many others. Yeah. And just uh, you cope, know, people just, who mightn't be feeling the best. 100% today, you know. Okay, so yeah, you've got it. We, we won't get through all of them, but but no. give, give us some of your thoughts and some of the quotes that you found. Yeah, well, one of them was um, uh, that um, you're braver than you believe, you're stronger than you seem, and you're smarter than you think. So, a little bit of um, a little bit of a boost there, like for for Joe and maybe for uh, some listeners uh, as well. Um, yeah, the, yeah because when you're, when you're going through a tough time, that's yeah. exactly how you're not feeling, but that's what you need to sort of instill in yourself. You are braver that, than you think. That's the thing. That's the thing. Um, you know, another one was most of the important things in the world have been accomplished by people who have kept on trying when there seemed to be no hope at all. That was the famous Dale Carnegie. And, um, yeah, sometimes I suppose the, 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 the thing that we really, really, really um, need to keep um, shining would be hope. Um, you know, uh, because the one thing in life that will really defeat us is, uh, is giving up. Yeah, um, because earlier this morning, actually, a listener from the city, I, I, I won't put her name out, even though she has put her name in the text, uh, is going through kind of a tough time. And I, and I thought your piece is kind of applicable uh, for her. Uh, unfortunately, her dad has recently been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and that can be devastating for any family uh, yeah. to cope with. And she's found since her dad got the diagnosis, she's finding it really difficult to sleep. And she's been very unsettled in her sleep pattern because of this diagnosis. And you know, was just, you know, wondering what, what, what you know, what would you recommend that that's a kind of a very natural reaction isn't it it's because of everything that's going on with her dad absolutely um uh, it's a it's a devastating uh, diagnosis and um uh, the ripples uh, from the um you know from the impact uh, on the lake we'll say in the middle 
um, ripple out to affect uh, family and loved ones. And um, uh, it's tough going. I remember, and the, the person could look this up because I remember one time having a little booklet. Um, uh, I uh, Like a lot of other things, I have no idea where it is, but was um, uh, coping with uh, people who had had that, that, that diagnosis. To something like living with Alzheimer's or, you know, uh, a title, something like that. And uh, just like I looked up the um, the kind of pick-me-uppers that we're talking about today in a time of a time of a bit of a down or a time of um, illness, um, uh, that could help greatly, the, that little booklet. And I'm quite sure that if a person Googles it, um, They'll find uh, it. That or something yeah. exactly like it uh, will will pop up. But but yeah. but it goes back to what what you said. You know, remember you are braver than what you, than than what you believe. Well, you see, the thing that we imagine we could. Oh my God, I couldn't cope with that. We do. Mm. We do cope with it. Um, you know, uh, when we look back in our lives um, uh, on the dark days, and there would have been many many dark days. Um, we got through them, um, even when, you know, if we looked ahead and imagined this, the certain situations, we'd say, oh, I couldn't cope with that. But we do. Yeah, we do. And, and actually I saw one of your quotes and it's one that I know and it's from Christopher Reeve, the actor that, you, yeah. that was Superman and we all know the devastating accident he had that left him paralysed. And he says, once we choose hope, everything is possible. Absolutely. For a man who lost everything. Yes, indeed. I mean, uh, the epitome of health and uh, wonderful strength and everything. Um, and the next thing is, he's laid low and... Um, Paralysed uh, from the neck down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he, yeah. he clung on to hope. And isn't it great that he could, um, that we can read that, that he said, once we choose hope, everything is possible. And I, I believe, of course, um, uh, but coming from a person who had such an absolutely devastating um, uh, thing to happen to him, um, it was, um, uh, it's, it's inspiring. Mm. It is, because, yeah, yeah. I mean, we believe the guy. I mean, he, he's been there, done that, and, um, and he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, you so, know. so never, never give up on hope. No, no, indeed. I mean, um, I, I was supposed to be in the hospital now and having my operation, and it's been called off. And um, one of the quotes I remember hearing sometime in my life would be, if life deals you lemons, make lemonade. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. And then uh, to, to back that up, I read another one, um, and it said, resting is not laziness. It's medicine. Love that one. So, Love I'm that going one. To, I, 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 I have an enforced opportunity to rest. Yeah, and some, because yeah, obviously, and um, I, I, my diary was um, just had lines through it saying, um, you know, uh, up was <laughs> the the word in it, and um, uh, and 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 now there's no up. <laughs> so um, I have a great opportunity to. Uh, to make that lemonade by having a little rest for a day or two. It kind of goes back to what we've, we often discuss here is being, and you regularly mention it, is about being kind to yourself. Absolutely. 
absolutely. Um, you know, the, the, that is so true. And, um, and little things like that help us. That resting is not laziness, it's medicine. Now, I love that because it kind of gives me permission uh, to rest up and to say, no, this is not laziness, this is medicine. Um, it's also a golden opportunity to do a few little things around the house that need to be done. Um, none of them are back-breaking. Uh, our son Joe um, happily is down for a visit um, from Cork at the moment. He 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 planned time off to come down to be with herself while I was above in the hospital and recuperating. I was supposed to be there at least until the weekend. So the two of us are going to, we'll do a few little jobs around the house well and we'll spend a bit of time together and watch a movie tonight and that's pleasant. Uh, yeah, yeah, and another another one that you sent on is uh, believe in yourself and all that you are. Know that there is nothing inside of you that is greater than any obstacle. That's a real that's a real strong statement, and it just gives you belief in your. It's it's about believing in yourself. Yeah, it it absolutely is. It absolutely is. And even if we're not at our best, um, there can be you know we're able to do some little thing. I, I remember reading a Martin Luther King Jr. one of, um, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. And if you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. Yeah. And I suppose, in a way, that's um, that's life. Um, these are the things that we... Um, that kind of pick us up a bit, you know. Yeah, when you face adversity. Another one is you can't calm the storm, so stop trying. What you can do is calm yourself. The storm will pass. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, even 500 years ago, um, Shakespeare had it all off <laughs> when he said, um, nothing is good and nothing is bad, but thinking makes it so. So there's like... Um, when life is somewhat normal, some you know, it's different if we were, um, God knows, if we were in the middle of Gaza now, with yeah. a lot of these um, would, uh, but there's still, you see, there still would be hope. Even the people in the most dr- drastic circumstances, without hope, one would simply lie down on the ground and give up. So... You can see there on those awful, terrible um, pictures on the television that we see. People, whether they're walking, whether they have a donkey pulling um, uh, uh, a floor, um, they're, they're trying, they're trying, and they have hope that they can make maybe that, um, that Rafa passing um, down in the south towards Egypt hope. Yeah, I saw, I'm assuming it was the son um, pushing an elderly woman in a a wheelbarrow. And I just thought, my God, and making that long journey to get out of North Gaza, to get into uh, the south and obviously believes that, yeah, there, there is some hope. And even, I think, watching parents rushing into the hospital with, you know, an unconscious child uh, in their arms and, you know, believing I'll get to the hospital, I'll be hope somebody will be able to help me. You know, you you can never lose that hope, even though it is just dreadful, dreadful situation. You're 110% because that father or that mother, 
dashing into the hospital with the little child in his or her arms, um, I mean, that's, that's a picture of hope. If I can get in there and if I can get uh, medical help, well then, maybe we can make it. Maybe my child can make it. Yeah. Um, we just and, and, need and world leaders to knock their heads together and, and, and just, just stop it. We just needs to stop. Well, definitely. I mean, you know, all over the world there are people, there are horrible, terrible, awful things happening. And, um, yeah, diplomacy and, and uh, yeah. Okay. yeah. And back to, to okay, back to our inspirational uh, mm. thoughts. There's another one that um, I loved, if I can find, oh, this one. The truth is we're all a little bit broken. We must learn to love the broken pieces of ourselves. Be gentle and empathetic with ourselves and others. I, I like that one. Yeah, we're all yeah. a little. We're all a little. Nothing wrong with us all being a little bit broken. No, and the the advantage of being a little bit broken is that you can you you know you you do have a very genuine empathy then for others. I mean, um, I, I remember talking to a student who was doing a counselling course and going to get into the same line of work as myself, and I remember saying to the person, "All the minuses now become pluses." Because you'll understand. Uh, so the minuses become pluses. If that went wrong, but you got through it, and if that went wrong and you got through it, well, then you'll be able to walk that path with another and you will uh, understand uh, and um, empathize with the person. For example, I mean, you wouldn't have anyone doing the kind of work that, um, that we do in the IACP um, uh, at 18 years of age. You, you know what yeah. I mean? You, yeah. you have to get the your life experience and sometimes the knocks are, I know it sounds a bit daft, but sometimes the knocks are the best teaching uh, that we can have. Well, you, you, you can't get that kind of thing out of a book, yeah. you know. OK, yeah. some thoughts in from listeners. Robert said, uh, just on the word coping and learning to cope, I lost my son to sudden adult death in 2017. And then the following year, I lost a grandson in a drowning tragedy. You just have to cope. You just learn to uh, cope. God help you. That's a tough going, right. Robert. Thank you for that. And someone yeah. else has sent me in a picture of that quote that you started with. Remember, you are braver than you believe, stronger than you feel and smarter than you think. And this person mm. wants to wish Joe all the best. Listen, it was great having you on the programme today. Thank you for that. Continue Thank to you. rest up and uh, we'll hopefully talk next week. <laughs> yeah. God bless. Thanks uh, a million. We will indeed. Bye bye. God. Bye bye. Yeah. That is uh, Joe Heffernan, who runs a counselling practice in Boherbury. His number is 086 And let me go to some of your texts in on uh, issues that we have been addressing, particularly when I mentioned about the motorway uh, laybys are to be closed to uh, private motorists. Morris says, Trisha, don't know whether she'll have a cry listening to your programme today. Who is paying these people to come up with plans to start sticking their paws? into our bins to see what way we are recycling and now to hear you say they want to close laybys and the state of the country I want one of those jobs says Maura Hi Patricia so basically they're saying if you're tired now you're to keep driving as they're going to close these areas only to emergencies. Last week they were pushing for zero deaths by 2050 and now they are taking away places for drivers to take a rest if they're feeling tired 
Someone else says Patricia, the withdrawal of motorway laybys from public use is short-sighted. When a person is tired and pulls in, they need to rest. They are being responsible. Clearly, they are, they are potentially avoiding accidents and thereby they're going on to save lives. Of course, the authorities want people to use the service stations instead of pulling into the laybys. They may spend some money when they go to the service stations and that will increase the value of the contracts. To my mind, this is another case of sacrificing safety for profit. Motorists pay tolls and motor tax and should simply not accept this ruling. 0818103103. Our lines are open. Somebody says, isn't it a good quote for you, Trish, when life gives you a load of SH bum bum grow roses. Okay, that's where I leave you for today. Thanks to Bernie for producing. Nick Witcher for the afternoon. Touch you tomorrow.